Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I am James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. We pride ourselves on great customer service, and you can't do that through a robot. We have got that good news story, plus the EID cometh. But first, San Francisco clears out the bums and builds the wall for Xi Jinping's visit. And Governor Newsom on Xi's visit said, I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all these fancy leaders are coming into town. That's true because it's true. So he said the the loud part out loud, I guess. San Francisco frantically cleaned up its act, booted out the homeless, and threw up all kinds of security barriers ahead of Chinese President Xi Jinping's visit. He did attend the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in the Bay Area, APEC, where he met with President Biden for the first time in over a year. The Democrat-run city has erected steel security walls in the downtown area and booted out the vagrant tent dwellers for the communist ruler's visit. Biden, like his San Francisco liberal allies, campaigned heavily against walls, in particular Orange Man's Barrier at the U.S.-Mexico border. San Francisco-based Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi and former mayor and current California Governor Gavin Newsom have also slammed the notion of walls. But photos showed central roads surrounded by steel barriers and sidewalks cleared of homeless people as the lawless city cleans up its act ahead of Xi's visit after Chinese propaganda likened the fentanyl-infested metropolis to, quote, hell. And as if to make most favored nations point, news crew robbed at gunpoint while filming in San Francisco ahead of Xi Jinping Biden summit. There it is, James. Well, as we are recording... This again to the disclaimer: We're going to be 24 hours behind when you're seeing this, so we don't know how this whole summit ultimately will play out. Um, as we are sitting here recording it, apparently there are reports of protesters clashing with riot police um, as thousands descend on San Francisco to shut down the APEC summit. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, perhaps similarly to it, how it played out in Canada in 1997 at the APEC summit, where protesters were protesting against the presence of people like Suarto from Indonesia. And uh, you had the bizarre scene of Nardwar questioning Prime Minister Jean Chrétien about it and talking about the pepper spray that was being used on protesters and the infamous, for me, pepper, I put it on my plate, which Canadians in the crowd might remember of a certain vintage anyway. Um, craziness. All that being said, we don't know how this is going to turn out, but let's put some things on the record. Um, I think in contrast to the uh, the Chinese propaganda regurgitators of the bricks of savior 5D fantasist crowd, I don't think Xi Jinping is descending on the United States in a position of power come to dictate his terms. In fact, I would say this is quite the opposite. Um, as evidenced, if by nothing else, in the fact that, hey, they're sitting there at the table with a representative from Taiwan, which is essentially one of the red lines of Chinese diplomacy. They never acknowledge the existence of Taiwan. The bone that they throw to the Chinese at APEC is that it's not Taiwan, it's Chinese Taipei. And they don't have an official government representative, they have a civilian representative. In this case, the 92-year-old head of a very, very powerful um, semiconductor uh, firm. So, because of course, that's what Taiwan is essentially. Um, it's airstrip, airstrip one. Well, no, I guess uh, airstrip two for uh, the United States of America. Um, so we'll see what develops from this. What I am thinking is that I think both Biden and she want to a little bit of face saving and a little bit of room. I think they want to tone down the 
the bellicose World War III type rhetoric to give themselves some breathing space. Let's not forget, the Chicoms are not exactly in the greatest position they've ever been in, um, as evidenced by the bottom falling out of their housing market, putting economic pressure on them, uh, high youth unemployment, a rising middle class that now needs to be placated, all of which I think came into a sort of focus, what was it, a year, year and a half ago, when we had those um, those... Uh, protests that were being largely led by students, I think, um, against the zero COVID lockdown insanity nonsense that China was still attempting to do at that point. They had to back off because the protests were getting too intense and they didn't want to start massacring people and what have you. So I don't think they're bargaining from a position of power and strength here. Um, we'll have to see what develops out of this. I, I don't think there's going to be any sort of like big breakthrough, some amazing agreement or accord or anything. But the fact that they are sort of around the table and everybody's uh, at least talking to each other is a sign that things might be, they might be trying to simmer things down a little bit. Of course, who is not there? Of course, Putin is not there, as he wasn't there last year either uh, at the Apex Summit, as he's uh, no longer a welcome guest. And I suppose they'd probably try to arrest him for the ICC prosecution war crimes, right? So anyway, um, all that being said, the media monarchy link to all of this is that apparently Biden and she were having their little pre-Apex uh, chinwag shindig at the Filoli estate, which you will recognize as the estate that was the face of Dynasty, the Dynasty TV series. So put that in your little media monarchy pipe and smoke it. I don't know. I don't know what that means. But anyway, <laughs> there you go. I, I mean, I would imagine if if Biden can make it through the summit without literally falling down or falling all over the place, I would imagine they would chalk it up as a, as a bit of a success. Huh. So that's probably that's probably the exteriors that they used for for the establishing shots and the opening opening sequence of Dynasty. Never watched a ton of Dynasty. Can we, speaking of watching stuff, include the Nardwar link in our show notes? Let's do it. Awesome. That's how we get going on New World Next Week, episode five hundred and thirty-five. Our second story this week: EU Parliament agrees on digital ID introduction, and pro censorship chief suggests integrating it with CBDCs. What an amazing idea. Grabbing this from the fine folks at reclaimthenet.org, the European Parliament and the bloc's member countries have reached a provisional deal on the digital ID framework. And now EU Commissioner for Internal Market Thierry Breton is reported as suggesting that central bank digital currency integration should follow. The provisional agreement on what's known as the EID, European Digital Identity Regulation, is being presented by the EU Council that worked on the agreement together with the European Parliament as a safe and trusted option, safe and effective, and also one that protects democratic rights and values. Opponents like Dutch EP member Rob Roos took to X to announce the news and brand it as very bad. The reason, according to Ruse, that is in the process of striking a deal, the two EU institutions ignored all the privacy experts and security specialists. Commissioner Breton wasted no time, perhaps on purpose, building on a momentum that was no doubt difficult to get going to say that now there is a digital ID wallet. We have to put something in it. The MEP sees his comments as suggesting that Breton is talking about a link between EID and future CBDCs. In his own post on X, Breton was in a positively celebratory mood, congratulating those who worked on this outcome, calling it a giant step and a world premiere. And one that, according to him, guarantees 
top levels of security and privacy, security and privacy not guaranteed, while offering citizens of EU countries a secured e-identity for their lifetime. Lowering amount of time, though, that may be. Ruse, however, believes that something can still be done about this, and the EP is yet to vote on the agreement and is urging citizens to contact their MEPs, tell them they oppose the looming regulation, and ask them to vote against. Please. Only last week, reports said that as many as 300 scientists and security experts and researchers all agreed that something should be done about EU's ID scheme, namely that the bloc should rethink its plans. Specifically referring to the EIDAS regulation, which should allow for mutual recognition of EID schemes across the EU, these experts said, as proposed in its current form, will not result in adequate technology safeguards for citizens and businesses as intended. In fact, it will very likely result in less security for all. This particularly refers to the newest version of EIDAS, radically expanding the ability of governments to surveil both their own citizens and residents across the EU by providing them with the technical means to intercept encrypted web traffic, as well as undermining the existing oversight mechanisms relied on by European citizens. James, the EID cometh, or is the EID here? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's here um, in concept anyway, and now they're Why not just going to... They're just going to have to. Why not both? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> They're just going to have to roll it out for the public's sake at this point. You know, it's almost as if it's almost as who who put the digital ID on their bingo card for 2023, huh? Oh wait, yeah, I did because specifically because this is the linchpin of the entire globalist system. This is. Once they get the digital ID, everything else falls into place. As they say, now that we have this ID, you got to put something in it. Well, okay, CBDCs and everything else, social credit, here it comes. It's the digital ID is going to be the linchpin for this system. And again, you don't have to be some kind of great prognosticator to be able to see this or scry the tea leaves. They're telling you about this. They've told you for years. Bill Gates has gone up and talked about the wonders of digital digital identification and how it will be a, a great thing for the future and blah, blah, blah. And oh, here we are in 2023 and... The 50 in 5 campaign is an agenda concocted by a coalition of unelected globalists to accelerate technocratic control through digital ID, CBDC, and massive data sharing. Uh, the United Nations, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and partners of the Rockefeller Foundation are launching the 50 in 5 campaign to accelerate digital ID, digital payments, and data sharing rollouts in 50 countries under the umbrella of Digital Public Infrastructure, DPI, by 2028. So keep that that magic acronym in mind. You're going to be hearing more about it in the coming years, as of course they try to test it out in those poor African countries, whatever. Here's our little test guinea pigs and make sure we have all the kinks out of the system. And then DPI for everyone. Yay. Digital public infrastructure. And of course, they're going to sell this to the public as the wonderful. Oh, now you can harness all the benefits and goodness of all of the great things that you'll get from government, and maybe they'll throw you a UBI carrot and whatever else, but just don't ever think about the stick of the complete debanking, demonetization that can take place with a flick of a switch under this DPI that they're going to give from the heavens. And oh, by the way, in a completely and totally unrelated note here that has nothing to do with anything else, Adhar Data Leak 
personal data of 815 million Indians on sale on the dark web. Oh, that's right. Remember the biggest biometric database ever constructed in the history of the planet by the Indian government? With the the big thumbs up from Bill Gates, of course. Uh, and how they're now trying to literally, they're now trying to link that to your tax re- uh, filings so that it all becomes this great big slave computer state. Um, well, Guess what? Yeah, they just had a huge data leak, and now apparently the personal data of 815 million Indians is out for sale on the dark web. What could possibly go wrong with the digital ID, huh? Now that we've got all these cages, we've got to put something in them. So, I mean, that's the sneaky thing, James. The 50 and 5, I was talking about this on The Morning Monarchy the other day. We all get fixated on 2030, 2030, Agenda 21, 2030. Ah, crap. They did it two years early. That's how those moves may go. Ay, ay, ay. And and again, to access all the amazing benefits of government, like paying them the protection money so they don't come destroy your business. Again, it would be better if we just had open Italian mafia. <sighs> but maybe we can. There, there's the sigh. The good news, your, your, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the new world next week sigh. Before we get to some good news, now there have been some episodes in the past, James, that were really close to Thanksgiving, and we have done complete good news episodes. Things might be a little dire for that this year. But our third segment is all good news as we give thanks for some good news. Our first one, Booth's Supermarkets to ditch self-checkouts in North of England stores. Some people love the speed and efficiency of supermarket self-checkouts. But then there's the not recognizing your bag, the unexpected item in bagging area, the surprising item on the scale, the point-blank refusal to scan something, the constant coupon confusion. And that's all before the long, so long wait to get your alcohol approved. I was actually talking about this a little bit on the morning show, James. Those touch screens, I think if you touch the top right-hand corner, you access the user interface where the employee comes and punches in their punches in their secret code. If you watch that employee, you might be able to learn their secret code and at the very least mess up the whole self-checkout system. That's if you've got some time to time to waste. Booths, see? Life hacks from the media monarchy kingdom. <laughs> I, I messed with it a little bit at the Kroger grocery store. Booths, a high-end Northern England supermarket chain, is siding with the dislikers and has announced it's removing self-checkers from the majority of its stores. We're not great fans of self-checkouts, Booths managing director Nigel Murray told the grocer. We pride ourselves on great customer service, and you can't do that through a robot. The chain is believed to be the first in the UK to go back to fully staffed tills and is swimming against the machine's tide, which has led to more big supermarkets adding trolley self-service bays to existing basket self-service and self-scan. That's very telling because that's essentially what the public have done. Oh, I, I scanned myself. I gave it away. All of this basically means fewer tills staffed by human beings, which, as many argue, might be the only social interaction of the day for a lot of people who live alone, which is another important part of this New World Order beast system. In other good news, West Antarctica temperature falls 2 degrees Celsius in 20 years. Grabbing this from What's Up With That, again, everything we say, always down in the show notes. The continent of Antarctica is a difficult hunting ground for climate apocalypse fanatics since there's been barely any overall warming for the last 70 years. 
The exception is West Antarctica, where there's been some local climate variation, possibly helped by significant geothermal activity. Don't expect to see reported in mainstream media some startling new evidence showing significant cooling in West Antarctica starting in the early 1990s, with temperatures falling by 0.93 Celsius each decade from 99 to 2018, a total of 2 degrees over that 20 years. In a paper published by the American Meteorological Society, a group of international scientists note the statistically significant rate of temperature decline. In other weather news, Sahara expert says the desert is shrinking and calls alarmist tipping points complete nonsense. This from No Tricks Zone. Austrian AUF1 posted a video interview with a prominent German geologist and Sahara expert, Dr. Stefan Kropelin. He's an award-winning geologist, climate researcher, University of Cologne, specializes in studying eastern Sahara Desert and its climatic history. He's been doing it for 40 years. In the Off One interview, Dr. Kropelin contradicts the alarmist claims of growing deserts and rapidly approaching climate tipping points. He says that already in the late 1980s, rains had begun spreading into northern Sudan and have since indeed developed into a trend. Since then, rains have increased and vegetation has spread northwards. The desert is shrinking. It's not growing. And finally, from ITV, nearly 1,000 ULES cameras damaged or stolen in the last seven months. I believe we have mentioned this pretty recently. And these might be updated numbers. Nearly 1,000 ultra-low emission zone cameras have been damaged or stolen in the past seven months, the Metropolitan Pigs have said. Since April Fool's Day, 767 cameras have been damaged, while another 220 ULES cameras were stolen. I think people are even sort of pioneering new ways of destruction in this. It's pretty amazing. Five five people arrested over the criminal damage relating to U.S. cameras since the London mayor announced the expansion of the clean air zone earlier this year. Three people have been charged, one of whom had their case dropped, and two arrested and bailed. I'm sure Jimmy Kimmel probably paid their, paid their bail. The low emission zone imposes limitations on vehicle emissions with the aim of reducing pollution. Vehicles which don't meet the standards incur a daily charge of 1250 pounds in the capital and the fine for failing to pay is another 180 pounds. The scheme was expanded to outer London boroughs on August 31st by Sadiq Khan despite legal challenges from local councils and widespread protests. An anti-ULES Facebook group with more than 40,000 members who are definitely on a list now, urging people to refuse to pay the 1250 daily fee for non-compliant vehicles, as well as celebrating the vandalism of enforcement cameras. That is some good news next week, this week, James. All right. Well, that's some good news. Okay, let's put things in perspective. With regards to the ULES camera story, let me put it on the record for the benefit of the AI transcription bots that are listening into everything that we say. I do not support what you guys are doing. I do not like to see that type of vandalism taking place. And I don't want anybody tampering with those self-checkout monitors in the way that you just prescribed in great detail there, Pilato. <laughs> I, I, am, I am not on board with that. Okay, now that we have that transcription out of the way, um, <laughs> uh, with regards to the booth story, you know, of course, of course, I am against the the, uh, the automatic checkout, the the dehumanization of the public space that is becoming steeping us further and further into this electronic matrix. Um, but even beyond that, even just not even thinking about that aspect of it, I personally, I just 
hate having to use those stupid devices that, as they say, always, there's always something wrong. Every single time I end up having to call for help anyway, because it doesn't work. I avoid it at all costs. I will go out of my way. I will wait in a 15-person lineup for an hour and a half to avoid those stupid things, just because of the inconvenience of them. Anyway, so... I hope people, and again, this is part of what we were talking about last week with regards to if you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't have, if you don't make the point of having the human to human interaction, then they're eventually going to phase out the human to human interaction. And I always want to just say to the workers there, do you know you're just, you're just training your replacements? Are you happy with this? What do you, you guys should be vandalizing this stuff. Anyway, um, I mean, no one should be vandalizing this stuff. Uh, and with regards to the uh, the uh, the climate stories, you're not going to be reading this in the nightly news. They're not going to be blasting headlines about, oh my god, the world's getting greener and the, uh, things are cooling off. And oh my god, no, because that doesn't fit their narrative. So you will never hear about it. And so that should just, uh, of course, and that's very, very apparent when it comes to the climate stories. You will never, ever, ever, ever hear a climate story that goes against the alarmist narrative because they don't want you to hear it. But think about that just generally applied. I think it's a point that we've made before, but we should make it here again explicitly since this is going to be our good news segment for the year, I guess. <laughs> Let's make it here. You don't hear about good news because good news doesn't sell. Good news doesn't get people to click. Good news does not get people excited. In fact, our entire concept of news is essentially bad things that happen today. And because we do not have a framework for understanding positive developments, things that are good, celebrating the best in humanity, we never do it. And if somebody comes along and says, hey, I, did you hear the news today? Something good happened. You're like, what the? No, 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 no. No, I, I heard there was a, there was a, there was an earthquake over here. There was some, some, some sort of bombing over here. That's news. So I think maybe we should, from time to time, at the very least, reset our our framework of what news even is. And on that note, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's something Neil Postman talks a bunch about in Amusing Ourselves to Death. The very concept of news. Hey, something bad happened that I had nothing to do with and I cannot help in any way, but I'm going to internalize. Yeah, it's bad things that happened today. I like that. That's pretty good. Somebody should use that as a title for another bad news show. And I did used to do a weekly Good News Next Week show. And as I've been honest and admitted, things got really dark and depressing and I didn't really see much good news around. I do love the idea of relaunching Good News Next Week because I think not only would it be good for people out there, it'd probably be good for, for Jimmy in here. That is New World Next Week, episode 535. NewWorldNextWeek.com helps support both of our works, and we do have, as promised, the brand new Corporate Report 2013 data archive on USB flash drive that is in, that is on the store. It is now shipping. There are still some USB archive bundles left. But of course, we have to have all those USBs in stock to be able to do the bundle. We've also got the new stickers. There's Corporate Report stickers and also Media Monarchy stickers. People have been getting free, smaller Media Monarchy stickers for these last couple of years, pretty much with every physical order they make from the store. We've now made stickers that are quite a bit larger, and they look pretty good covering up the corporate logo on your laptops, maybe, or your water bottles. Meanwhile, of course, I play the exclusive audio of these brand new New World Next Week episodes before they're published anywhere after my Thursday morning monarchy at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. So indeed, that is New World Next Week episode 535. 
James, by my count, only four more episodes left this year, including, of course, our big New World Next Year finale coming up actually on the winter solstice. I think I've actually got my story of the year. How about you, James? I have an idea, but I always leave it open just on the off chance that something might happen in the next month. <laughs> but I, I have an idea. Just if we were doing it today, I think I'd know what I'd go with. But I'm always reminded of uh, Stephen Colbert's joke to the uh, White House press uh, correspondence dinner where he said, uh, uh, George W. Bush is, is a steadfast kind of guy, a guy you can depend on. He, he'll think exactly the same thing on Wednesday as he thought on Monday, no matter what happened on Tuesday, which is a joke that has stuck with me for many, many years. Anyway... Uh, so I always leave open the possibility, oh, yeah, World War Three happened in December. Why didn't you talk? pick that as your <laughs> story of the year? That's <laughs> I think I uh, my story in November. <laughs> I think there, as we're taping right now, James, I think there's only eight more shopping days until World War Three. Oh, okay. According All to, right. Only uh, eight Alexis more. All right. Good. We're good. Prediction so anyway, I think III. I know story of the year, but uh, people can hang on and, and we'll, we'll, we'll hash it out in a few weeks. But uh, should we let people know that we're not going to be here next week or should we let them just sort of find out and then speculate and postulate about how, how we've been killed. And Dear Corbett, I think a band of feral cats has kidnapped monarchy. You guys, I have an email. I have a contact form on my <laughs> website. You can contact me and hit me up. I'm actually maybe more likely sometimes to reply because I don't get quite as yeah. much mail. That's the thing that doesn't make sense <laughs> to me, James. Why, why they're emailing you, who has way more to do than keep up with Pilata's whereabouts. <laughs> True. And thank you in advance to all the people who email me about the cats that they see in your background. But maybe you can, yeah, email Pilato about them. He'll love to tell you their I'd names. Love to, and I'd love to voice. talk about them. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we will be off next week because that is Thanksgiving here in the States. And I don't know, you guys might have some, some crazy something holiday in Japan. I'll, I'll, I'll let them know when the time's right. <laughs> all right, buddy. All right. There it is. New World next week, 535, man. Thank you so much. Take care.